0: Welcome, everybody, to our brand new series called Endurance, Fuel for the Journey. Before I tell you more about that, let me remind you that on July the 16th, we have another all-prayer gathering by Zoom, and I'd love for you to join us. You know, it's not enough that we just pray once a year on the National Day of Prayer. We now want to begin on a more regular basis, praying together as a church, praying for revival in our church and revival in our country. And so I'll be teaching for about 15 minutes on July the 16th on the whole issue, What Does It Mean to Repent? So if you'd like to be part of this, it's from 8 a.m. till 9 a.m. All you have to do is email prayer at wooddale.org, prayer at wooddale.org, and you'll get your Zoom link. And I hope to see you on July the 16th. So what is this new series, Endurance, Fuel for the Journey, is all about? Well, a couple years ago, my son-in-law got me into road cycling. Now, he is very good. I'm an amateur compared to him. But he taught me a lot about it because he's also a scientist. And one of the first things he did was tell me about the importance of getting the right fuel in my body because I was getting ready to do a 100-mile journey on my own. So he took me to the store and he showed me all the array of high Octane kinds of snacks that you can take along and eat to keep your body fueled. The problem is you can't take them all. You can't even take a grocery bag of them. You can only take a few because they have to fit into those tiny little pockets that are behind the cycling jersey. So I carefully selected about two or three types and stuffed them in my little pockets, loaded up my two water bottles with coconut water in order to rehydrate myself and i started out on my first 100 mile journey about a dozen or so miles into it i was feeling good and strong cycling at about 18 to 20 miles an hour but when i hit about mile 20 i hit the proverbial wall i literally could feel my tank just go empty and so i got off the bike and i rehydrated and i ate a couple of the snacks I hopped back on my bike again and I was amazed. Within minutes, it's like I had my tank fueled up again. And what I learned is that I needed to stop every seven to 10 miles to refuel, to rehydrate and get that energy back in my body and allow me to finish my, my journey well. The same thing is true for you and me. We're all on this journey called life. And right now, it is intense, isn't it? I mean, these are challenging days all the issues that go with COVID-19, coming to grips with the injustice that our nation has practiced in its history, dealing with the, you know, the riots that have happened, the uptick in violence, the political and economic upheaval, and then add all the other kinds of stresses we face in life and you feel like you've lost energy. People are on edge, they're they're discouraged, they're depressed, they're struggling in marriages and families and homes, and there are so many questions in this time of uncertainty. We need fuel to finish this journey well. And so what I wanna do is I wanna take you to a place where we can find that fuel, something that God has given to us. It's a type of nutrition. It is called the fruit of the Spirit. So Galatians chapter 5 is going to be the passage that we'll be looking at. Let's look at it together right now. Verse 22, it says, But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of, notice what it says, this kind of fruit. So it's not fruits, it's one. A lot of people mistake this. They call it the fruits of the Spirit. No, it's just one fruit. And that one fruit in our lives is actually the fruit of love. Now, everything else, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, which there's no law against, those are aspects or facets or attributes of love. So what we're going to do, we're going to spend three weekends, and we're going to look, first of all, at the primary fruit, which is love, and then we're going to talk about joy, and then we're going to add to it faithfulness. And then later on this fall, when we're running out of energy again, we'll pick up three more. And then in the winter, when we're running out of energy again, we'll pick up the next three. And so we'll learn to energize ourselves by what is called the fruit of the Spirit. Now before we get into talking about love, let's talk a little bit about the whole concept of, of fruit in the Bible. The Bible is interesting in the metaphors it uses for our lives. And one of those is the metaphor of a fruit bearing tree. And I want to talk to you for just a couple of moments about the agents of fruitfulness. That is, what is it that causes us to bear fruit if we think of our lives as a tree? What's the fruit bearing agents in our life? And the Bible teaches us that there are two of them. And the first one is. Scripture, the Word of God. Look what it says in Psalm 1 and beginning at verse 2. It says, But they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. So real consistency and persistency. They are like trees planted along the river bank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all that they do. In other words, as trees, so to speak, right? If that's the metaphor for our lives, we're by this river and we're bringing in nutrients. We're bringing in the nectar of God's truth, God's word into our lives. And what we take in then will produce quality out of our lives. It will produce the fruit of God's Word, the fruit of truth coming out of our life in every area of our life and especially in our relationships. So one of the questions we all have to ask ourselves is, am I taking in a steady diet of the Word of God? Now why is that so important? Because the second agent, the most important agent, is the Holy Spirit Himself. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8 and verse 9, and then again I believe it is in verse 15, that you and I have been given the Holy Spirit, that when we receive Christ into our life, God becomes resident in our lives. The Spirit lives in you and me. And the Spirit takes the Word of God, the truth of God, and combined together, the Spirit of God takes the Word of God, and then out of our lives, produces in this case the fruit of love and then all the aspects of that love so when we talk about the fruit of the spirit we talk about love I'm not talking about something that's humanly produced I'm not talking about something I get from the world or from some guru or some book and then I memorize it or I study it and I meditate on it and that's what I produce out of my life no we're talking about producing that which is supernatural how does that happen in our lives Today we begin the journey of learning how that happens and we'll continue in that for the next couple of weekends. But I still want to talk about fruit for just a moment. Why the metaphor of fruit? Well think about it for a moment. Fruit is visible. You can see it. You can touch it. You can taste it. Just the other day we picked up some peaches at uh, the store and you know sometimes they come out kind of mealy and not very good. These were absolutely delicious in fact when we lived in california our family every spring would go out i should say every summer would go out and we would pick these big peaches right off the tree and they're so beautiful and so plump that we couldn't wait to get home we would begin to snack on them of course pay for them right there in the orchard there's nothing like that right so when you and i are producing the love of jesus you know what people benefit from that our spouse Our kids, our friends, even strangers benefit when we are emanating God's love, when we're emanating joy and peace and patience and kindness and all the other aspects of the fruit. Are you a delicious tree? Think about that for a minute. Are you a delicious tree? Are people people able to taste the love of God in your words and in your actions and in your demeanor? A second aspect of fruit is that it is viable. In other words, the fruit tells you what kind of tree it is. If it's a peach, then, you know, it's a peach tree. It reminds me of a cute little story about a boy who used to get in trouble, as boys sometimes do. His dad would send him up to his room, and that was his punishment to be there and spend the night. But he had a clever little plan. You see, there was a fruit tree that grew right next to the window, of his room. And he would open that window up and he'd climb out on the tree and climb down. And he would go and play and he'd time it out about perfectly to climb back up at the tree and be in his room when his dad and mom came to say goodnight and, you know, give him a little bit of a lecture of how tomorrow things need to be different. Well, one day his dad said to him, I'm going to chop down that fruit tree. It's been barren now for dozens of years, not producing fruit anymore. We're gonna chop it down. And when he heard that, he panicked. He thought, oh my goodness, that'll be the end of my escape. That'll be the end of my fun. So he talked his brother into going and buying a bushel of apples. And they tied these apples to the limbs of that fruit tree that no longer was bearing fruit. And he couldn't wait till the next day to see what his dad would say. The next day came, and sure enough, the dad announced to the whole family, I can't believe it. You know that tree that, that wasn't bearing any fruit? All of a sudden, it has a bumper crop of apples. And with a twinkle in his eye, the dad looked at the son and said, You know, son, it's a miracle. And the son looked at him and he said, Dad, what, what do you mean it's a miracle? He said, It's a miracle because that's a pear tree. All right, you get the point. Okay, let's move on. It says fruit is visible, viable, Fruit is valuable, right? When you take that fruit and you bite into it and you eat it, it gives you strength. It gives you energy. It's delicious. It 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 uh, is delightful to have, right? You enjoy it. You get a benefit from it. But you know, fruit has seeds in it, and what happens is those seeds are meant to get into the ground so that when they're in the ground, they'll produce another tree bearing the same kind of fruit. Well, when you and I take in the fruit of the Spirit, the love of God, when the love of God is in us and being produced through us, guess what happens? It touches the hearts and lives of other people. It causes them to realize that they need that same fruit in their life. It challenges them to follow our example, our kids, our spouse, our friends, to follow our example and bear that fruit as well. Imagine if Wooddale Church if all of us together were bearing the fruit of love, it would change. It would change our relationships. It would change our culture. And those of you who are watching worldwide, if you just begin to produce that fruit and challenge others to produce it with you, isn't that what renewal and revival is all about? People tasting and experiencing the love of God. Let's talk more specifically about the love of God. And the way I want to do this is let's start by talking about the upward priority of love. And what I mean by that is this concept of the vertical relationship that we have with God. Look what it says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. It says, we love each other because he loved us what? Second, third? No, he loved us first. So I'm not talking about something I have to initiate. God's already initiated this with me. He loved me first. Look what it says in Romans chapter 5 and verse 5. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us. Think about that, how dearly God loves us, because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with, with his love. Now that's worth memorizing and meditating on, isn't it? How dearly does God love you and me? He gave his son, Jesus, to die for us even while we were still sinners, the Bible tells us. He's given us his Holy Spirit, and his Holy Spirit brings God's love into our hearts and into our lives. So by faith, I have to believe that love exists there. Now, I love sometimes to talk about our imagination because I believe the imagination is God-given. So I want you to use your God-given imagination for just a moment. Close your eyes if you want. And I want you to imagine what it would like for you to become a more loving person. What is the effect that would have on the lives of people who are around you? How might it change them, transform them? Could I challenge you to do something I'm challenging myself to do? To begin every day by taking some purposeful time just to be still and imagine, imagine the day ahead and imagine yourself living and behaving and speaking in a loving way. If you can hear and see yourself doing it, it's one of the ways to open up the channel, so to speak, how uh, the Spirit to be in, begin to produce that in your lives. Even when you know you have difficult situations or difficult people coming up, you've got to think that way. It'll change your life. Now, let's talk a little bit about what love is not, okay? Because sometimes you get things confused. Love is not just an emotion, it's not just a feeling. I heard someone the other day describing teenage love. Do you remember experiencing that? The first time you thought you might have felt love. And they said, you know, teenage love is when you feel that what you're feeling is what love actually is. That it's just a feeling that you have felt. And that's not what love is. Love is not about feelings. Not about emotions. As much as that can be part of the experience. Also, love is not psychological. There was a song years ago, all right, and the refrain of it went something like this, I think I love you, I think I love you, I think I love you. It's throughout the whole song, I think I love you. Now, who wants to stand in front of their their soon-to-be spouse at the wedding and hear them say in the vows, I think I love you. None of us want that. I don't want somebody to think they love me. I want to know that they love me, right? So it's not an emotion. It's not something psychological. But listen to this. Love is an act of the will. It's an act of our will. And I love this statement, this definition for love. It goes like this. Love is a commandment that is followed by a commitment. Love is a commandment that is followed by a commitment. You know, in many cultures, marriages are prearranged, even while the children are very small and very young. And sometimes they can be hundreds and thousands of miles apart from each other. That's how it's been done, you know, for a long time in history. And even in some places, it's still done today. And what's amazing is as these weddings are prearranged, even as the potential bride and groom are still children, They may never actually see or meet each other until their wedding. Can you imagine that? No, you cannot. (laughs) It's not how we do things. Well, the story is told about a couple whose marriage had been been prearranged when they were children. And now now they were getting ready for their actual marriage. And the young man sent a letter to the young lady saying... Would it be possible for us to actually meet each other before our wedding to get acquainted and to kind of date and and get to know each other? And she responded back by sending his letter and a note with it that said something like this. I want you to think about this for a moment, she said. When our parents conceived us, we did not have a choice of who our mom and our dad would be. We just ended up with our mom and our dad. And when they had more children, we did not have a choice in who our brother or our sister might be. We just simply learned to live with them and love them. And so she said, that is the way it will be with us. In other words, we will learn to live as husband and wife and we will learn to love as husband and wife. It's an act of the will when we love. And I was thinking about this in terms of our relationship with God. You know, I don't think we're always very easy to love, do you? And I know we say and we do things sometimes that must frustrate God and His desire to work in our lives. But God chooses to love us anyway as an act of His will. Now, I want to be just really honest with you for a moment. Aren't there times in your life, because I know they are in my life, when you don't feel like loving God? Be honest. When you're disappointed, when a prayer hasn't been answered, when something goes wrong instead of going right, when you've been pursuing God over an issue for a long time and nothing seems to change, don't you sometimes get angry and a little upset with God? be honest. In those moments, do you allow your feelings then to control your relationship with God? I hope not. In those moments when we don't feel like even loving God, we choose to love God because we don't let our feelings guide and drive our life. Let me ask you a question. What's guiding and driving your life right now? If it's your emotions, get off that roller coaster. You cannot trust them. It was our emotions. If you go back to the garden, it's our emotions that led us astray. God chooses to love us. And God gives us the freedom to choose to love Him. So let's transition now from this upward relationship to a more horizontal relationship let's talk a little bit about the outward direction of love so i receive love in order that i might channel love outwardly to those who are around me let's look at a passage of scripture found over here in matthew chapter 22 where one of the greatest questions ever asked was asked of jesus and he gave the greatest answer that's ever been given One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap Jesus with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Jesus said this is the greatest commandment, all right? So these are all the vertical aspect, God loving me and me loving God. Now, Jesus turns it horizontally. He says, He says, a second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So, what are these two commandments? Love God first because He first loved you then take the love of god that he's placed in your life and channel that love out toward others that they might experience his love as well. Look what it says over here in 1 John chapter 4 verse 7. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another for love comes from god. Anyone who loves is a child of god and knows god. So do you see the vertical aspect? See what John's saying? He's saying, let's love one another because we have been loved, because God loves us. Now, in the English language, we only have one word for love. So I can say that I love my wife, and I love ice cream, and I love my grandkids, and I love to travel. But I don't love ice cream the same as I love my wife and my grandkids or more than I love my wife and my grandkids. But in the Greek, there are different words for love to describe the different stages of love. So, for instance, there is eros love. And eros love is what we think of as romantic or erotic or sexual love. And then there is phileo, which is the love of friendship. And then there's storge, which is the love, for instance, that one has for their children, parental kind of love. But the love that Paul uses in Galatians 5 is the highest form of love. It is agape love. What is agape love? Here's one definition of agape love. Agape love is when you seek another person's best despite the fact they're seeking your worst. It's when you seek another person's best despite the fact they're seeking your worst. And isn't that Jesus on the cross? When he cries out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He is seeking our best. He is seeking our salvation, though we are putting him on the cross with our sins. Such is the love of God. See, when agape love rules my life, when agape love fills my life, when God's love's in charge of my life, then it controls the eros aspect of my love. Then it makes my, my marriage, my love for my wife, it makes it pure. And there's no infidelity. There's no adultery. There's no fornication. I'm loving the way God would have me love. When agape love controls phileo love, then in my friendships there's no jealousy, there's no competition, there's no put-downs. When God's love is controlling my storge love, my love as a parent or as a child to my parent, there's no abuse taking place. There's respect and obedience that's taking place. So great is the love of God that when I truly let God love me and I truly love God, that's when I am able to love you the best. And C.S. Lewis summed it up so well in this quote. He wrote, when I have learned to love God better than my earthly dearest, I shall love my earthly dearest better than I do now. You know what that tells me? It says, if I want to be a better husband, if I want to be a better father, a better grandfather, a better pastor, a better friend, then I need to focus more on loving God. Because the more I worship God, the more I receive his love and love him back, the more I can love you. My love life's going to improve. And so will yours. As Vance Havner has said years ago, And it's still appropriate today. He says what the church desperately needs right now is to fall in love with God again. Jesus warned the church in Ephesus, you have left your first love. You do everything right. You're well organized. You're doctrinally sound. But you have left. You You don't love me like you used to. And we need to recover that love. The love that God has for us and our love for Him. Because when we love God, and we allow him to love us. It allows us to love others. Which brings me to a final thought, and that is this. I want to talk about inward love for just a moment. Loving ourselves. One of the hardest things to do is hard for me. I, I kind of grew up in a generation, or at least I grew up in a teaching that, that was you ought to be hard on yourself. You ought to see what's wrong with yourself. And so it's been very hard for me to love myself my whole life because of lots of dynamics in my life. It's been very hard for me if I feel guilty and shameful if I love myself. And I think that's in part because of how the world describes self-love, which is really self-worship. You know, the idea the world has of loving yourself is actually an idea of pleasing people. It's an idea of achievement and success and success. That the more successful you are the more you live out your own feelings live out your own truth as we talked about last weekend that that you're going to feel better about yourself and so we get focused on you know how many how many friends do i have on facebook and how many followers on twitter's and likes on instagram and the more we have the better we feel about ourselves but what happens when somebody unfriends you or dislikes you or stops following you or is upset because you're on the wrong side of an issue Then we feel terrible about ourselves. Then we find ourselves doing whatever it takes to to try to get people to love us and like us. I am so glad God doesn't treat us that way. I'm so glad that God loves me in a very different way. So I want to share this big idea with you. And it simply goes like this. God loves you unconditionally. I know you've heard that before, but you need to believe it by faith, not by feelings. I want you to know that when you feel like you've been a scallywag and undeserved God's love, you are a scallywag and you don't deserve God's love, but He still loves you unconditionally. He chooses to love you. God loves you unconditionally. God does not love you because you are so valuable. You are valuable because God loves you unconditionally. And that's what brings you your great value before God. You just matter so much to Him. Like I said, by faith. By faith, we've got to grasp onto that. By faith, we've got to believe that. See, only as I let God love me and I accept His unconditional love for me, no matter how I've been or what I've been, Until I'm able to do that, I'm never going to be healthy internally. I'm never going to have the capacity to love God, let alone love anybody else. But when I can truly drink in and receive that love, that's why I say use your imagination every day. See yourself being loved by God. See yourself as a lovable person. Then love God back. Because something wonderful happens when you receive God's love and you love Him back. You can't help but love others. And we live in a world today as desperate to be loved. I want to share with you a story. It's a story about a Vietnam vet who came home from the war, came back to San Francisco, and he called his mom and dad first thing. And he said to his parents on the phone, they were on the East Coast, he said, i'm home i'm back and of course they were thrilled but he said i, I want to ask you something they said what, what what do you want to ask he said i have a friend with me and i want to bring him home he stepped on a mine and it blew his leg and one of one of his legs and one of his arms off can i can i bring him home and the parents said of course you can bring him home he said, well, he has no place else to go, and, and, I, and I, I want him to live with us. And his parents said, well, we'll, we'll help you find a place where, where, where he can live. He said, no, 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 Mom, Dad, I want him to actually live with us. And the phone got silent. Mom and Dad said, son, I, I really don't think that that's possible you see, we have our lives to live, and somebody with a handicap like that, missing an arm, missing a leg, would be an enormous burden on us. And and, and you know, we, we can't really afford to, to do that. I suggest you just come home, leave him there, he'll he'll find a way to live on his own. And the son hung the phone up. A few days later, the parents received a phone call from the San Francisco Police Department that their son had jumped off a building in an apparent suicide. You can imagine how grief-stricken the parents were. They hopped on a plane. They flew out to San Francisco. They had to go to the morgue to identify the body, and you cannot imagine how horrified they were when they saw that their son was missing an arm and missing a leg. You see, he was just wanting to know if his parents would love him or see him as a burden. There are a lot of people in our world right now that want to know if we'll actually love them, genuinely love them. With all the issues in their life, with all the struggles in their life. Will we love them? Will you love that neighbor? Will you love that person of beautiful color? Will you love the elderly? Will you love the young? Will you love the orphan? Will you love the prisoner? Will you love the hungry? I know Wooddale Church is a loving church, but I know this much. We are living in a culture of hatred right now, and we can't let our minds and our hearts go there. It'll destroy us. It'll it'll just drain us. But I'm not going to find the energy to love others until I realize just how much God loves me. And God loves you. Let's pray. Father God, we ask you in the very beginning of this series to please begin to work in our hearts and our lives to cultivate the love that you've placed there with the Holy Spirit. Father God, we confess to you that we're not perfect and there are times when we are so unloving and we know it. We give in to our flesh. We give in to our feelings. We override the freedom to choose love instead and we ask your forgiveness. Thank you that you're a patient, gracious, long-suffering God. Father, we want to be more loving and we want to love with your powerful love in us. So, Father, I pray that we could begin this week, this journey, by just letting you love us, by just sitting and being bathed in your love. Father, I pray that we would choose, whether we feel it or not, to love you. And God, I pray, when we look out around us, I pray that we would see Jesus in other people. For when you did it to the least of these, your, Jesus, you said we were doing it to you. Help us, Lord, to love. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. See you next weekend.